Time crystals break the laws of thermodynamics, changing jobs mid-career, and the brilliance of Dr. Fraser Crane. All that and more coming up on Heat Exchanger. Okay, and welcome to this episode of the Heat Exchanger podcast. This week's episode brought to you by the ternary phase diagram. The only thing it ever taught you was what the word ternary means. Hello, Vince. How are you doing today? Hey, Jake. I'm doing well. Uh, haven't seen you in a week and a half, I guess. Yeah. How are you? I, I'm, I'm well. You know, I've enjoyed a little bit of a vacation, so we haven't had a chance to record anything. To spend some time up at the, the family, family cottage. Uh, I call it the family cottage. Really, it's it's my mom and dad's place that I crash at sometimes. I have no skin in that game whatsoever, but I appreciate it nonetheless. So, did you play any board games? Uh jeez, what a what a great question. Uh, just just jumping right in, eh? So going back to our discussion last week, we did play some board games. Uh, the the game that that sticks out to me the most is definitely Code Names. So we did play some Code Names with my parents. So my parents were there for the first uh, few days. And then they, they pieced out and gave the place to Laura and I for a few days just to do some traveling around, go to the, the nearby beaches and do some shopping and stuff. Just, you know, little couples get away. But before they left, we did play a few games of code names. And I'll tell you, some, sometimes, sometimes those games, they're just like mind blowing. Like they can be domestically dangerous. It's like the, the animosity that's generated playing a game of code names in my family is, is pretty funny, but you know, is it just the four of you playing code names? Yeah. Yeah. It's just the four. Cause I don't know. We like to play those games. We, we play some Puerto Rico sometimes and some settlers or whatever, but for some reason or another, it was code names this time is that we played a lot. So it was just one person gave the clue. The other person had to guess yeah. like the words and that makes it worse. It's, like it's so, it's so bad. <laughs> <laughs> like, because sometimes somebody gives a, like a good clue and in retrospect, okay. So like, you know, my dad will give a clue and in retrospect, sure. It's a fine clue. It makes sense. Um, but it just might be that I just don't get it. Right. Like you just don't get it the first time. And so you struggle with it. And, and my dad, I think at one point was so frustrated with me for not getting his like good clue that on his next turn. So like the first turn I took a guess and I got it wrong or whatever. So on his next turn, he was so mad. He just gave me the same clue again. He refused to give me something different. <laughs> just despite you. Yeah, I know. I'm just like, oh man. <laughs> but um, yeah, between that and, and Laura and my mom. So Laura and my mom tend to play together too. And they're like simpatico. It's, in, it's incredible. Like there could be two words on the board that are like dog and marbles. And my mom will say tuna. And Laura will get both for some reason, like just magically, I, you know, because dogs are dogs are related to cats that like tuna and, you know, marbles, tuna choke on marbles in the ocean or something like that'll be the reason. And that will be the correct reason, by the way. And then they will win the game and I get mad. So there you go. What have you been up to? Uh, I mean, not much. I mean, Ember has been going on, so I've been busy with that. But other than that, with with the family, uh, we've been doing day trips. Last week, we went to the ROM with the kids. So that was nice, you know, seeing some dinosaur bones and, and 
what else is there mummies and things like that so uh, the kids enjoy it and then and then a couple of weeks ago what well, we went to the aquarium so uh, just all of those day trip kind of thing you know yeah i mean i love aquariums i think we've talked about this before yeah. but not on the show is like aquariums to me are are like amazing because i think i have a I, I, I don't think, I definitely have a fear of deep water. Like I don't like being in deep water. Um, it's not like a crippling fear or something, but like if, if you were to say, hey, do you want to go on a scuba trip? I'd be like, ah, I don't know. <laughs> you know, uh, I'd have to think about it pretty hard, but I love the aquarium because I think that underwater life is pretty sweet. Uh, there's, there can be some really cool things and aquariums are usually quite the spectacle to me because it's something that having grown up in like the Hamilton area, or I guess a little north of the Hamilton area as a kid, like never got really exposed to any tropical underwater wildlife or Arctic, wild, like anything like that. Right. So, so aquariums are, are always a good time. So. Yeah. Well, unlike you, I actually have a fear of water. I cannot swim. Uh, that's why I'm taking my kids to, to swimming lessons so that they can actually swim, but I can't swim, but we, we still like underwater life. Uh, my kids have been watching this show that teaches them underwater life. So, so they they got excited seeing octopuses and things or octopi, I guess that's the, that's the right word sure. and, <laughs> and kelp and things like that. I don't know. They, yeah. Good old sharks. kelp, man. If you can't get excited by kelp, then you can't be in marine biology. Way to go, Vince. Way to, way yeah. to give a shout out to kelp there. That's yeah. great. But, um, but yeah, no, that's, that's, that's pretty good. And um, you're the second person that I've talked to recently that's gone to the zoo. Uh, excuse me, not the zoo, the, the ROM. Yeah, same thing, right? Dinosaur bones in the zoo, whatever. But, uh, but yeah, so I'm back. There's been a few things going on in the news since I've, uh, since I've been gone. So we're going to talk yeah. about a couple of them now. Um, we're going to start out with a little bit of chemical engineering in the news. And uh, this is some very recent um, development, by the way, uh, only came out, this article came out yesterday. And so to our listeners that are not familiar, I'll give you a little bit of background flavor. I think it was seven years ago, right, Vince, that there was yeah. a disaster, it was an environmental disaster in uh, British Columbia in Quenelle Lake, and it was the Mount Poli tailings mine collapse. So, uh, sorry, tailings pond collapse, not the, not the mine itself. So just for a little bit of context, um, there's a mining operation up in uh, Mount Poli, uh, it's gold and copper. So it's a gold and copper mine. And a lot of the different methods for extracting gold and copper from soil and from things that aren't just like raw ores, or as you can do smelting, but you can also do uh, chemical leaching and that sort of thing. So they, they do a lot of that in this mine. And seven years ago, um, what happened was that, you know, the typical process, right, Vince, for, for dealing with the effluent or the outflow of the leaching fluids and also just wash water, like you need a lot of wash water and stuff, is you have this thing, it's called a, a tailing stream. And the tailings are literally just like the leftover refuse of all this mixed in water. Typically not terribly like toxic in and of itself. Like it could have some metals in it. It could have some heavy metals in it. It could have some residual acids or whatever left in it, but it's it tends to not be that bad. But what it is, is it's just like muck, right? Yeah. Uh, it's just mud. And the way to treat that, and this is a shout out to uh, David Latulip in our, in our department, is like you have to do industrial wastewater treatment by settling those tailings. So you got this like, you know, cloudy, cloudy water full of like crud. And the, the strategy is to just put it all in a lake, a man-made lake, like a quarry lake or something, and just let it sit there. And like anybody knows, if you have a, 
like been to a lake or, or whatever you stomp around in the sand on the beach is it like gets all cloudy because the sand gets kicked up and then if you leave it long enough it'll it'll clear out and it'll settle down and the idea here is that it settles to the bottom and you can skim the water off the top and you can reuse that water in your process so that you're not just taking it out of the, the river or whatever and that's that and the shout out to to the tulip by the way is is that um, his group works on things like flocculent development so you you add see these water soluble polymers that kind of aggregate that that sand into bigger clumps so that they fall down faster and, and that's pretty great so uh, they do good work there but uh vince seven years ago what what happened what happened yeah it says i mean reading with the article is this you know more than 70 million cubic meter of water and 8 million cubic meter of tailing effluent um and and there's you know heavy metal cop toxic copper gold waste um I guess the dam broke and then all that water and tailing um, flowed into the lakes and, and the streams. Um, and, 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 the, and the bigger issue here is that it's, it's not just like a random place, right? Like it's, it's a water source for salmon spawning ground and, and, and just the whole region, uh, a drinking water source as well. So it's, um, it, it had huge impacts. Um, actually, it's probably the, the biggest um, disaster of this sort in Canada's history. So yeah, it was quite a big deal, right? So yeah, and I do have a little bit of context. And again, this comes, I think, from Ryan Larue, um, saying that the the number that you gave there is is a staggeringly big number. But of course, it, it helps to put a little bit of context in terms of what that looks like. So you said seventeen million uh, cubic meters of water and 8 million cubic meters of tailings effluent, which is basically mud, right? That's what we're, we're coming yeah. down to for a grand sum total of 25 million cubic meters of stuff, right? Yeah. Which is the equivalent, I think, to a little bit over eight Rogers centers worth. So if you were to fill the Rogers center with water, um, to the top and dump it into a lake or into a stream or a river, and then do that another seven times and then do that all at once. Yeah. That's the equivalent of the amount of industrial wastewater. Like, let's call it what it is, right? It's tailings, it's industrial wastewater. It's not good. It shouldn't be returned to the environment. It just kind of flowed in. And if you look at any of the pictures, some of them are um, just awful. Are pretty staggering, right? Yeah. Like you got like islands being formed where there used to just be land. And it's just literal, just like, it, it's like beige. Everything is just beige. It's just gross, right? So like, yeah, beige and green because of the copper, right? So it's, yeah. So any, anyway, bad, bad look. And anybody that's listening is probably like, okay, well, that happened seven years ago. Why the hell are you talking about it right now? Well, you have a great question and thank you for paying attention up to this point. And the answer is because uh, two of the engineers responsible for the design of that tailings pond, right? So for this, the structural engineering and the civil engineering of that tailings pond have actually finally been charged with uh, professional misconduct by the uh, professional engineers body in BC. Uh, so in Ontario, we have the equivalence PEO, right? Professional Engineers Ontario. And this is a good segue to talk a little bit about the profession of engineering and the accountability, right? Um, so so the, the people you can, we're not going to name any names. You can see, you know, an article yourself if you're interested, but uh, the head engineer was charged the maximum fine uh, possible by the engineering body, which is $25,000, which doesn't seem like very much considering the impact. Mm -hmm. um, but that's the maximum fine to an individual. Now, of course, if you're doing professional engineering work on behalf of a company, that company needs to have insurance and um, a C of A. And 
what what ends up um, happening there is that the company um, or the the contracting company that that issued the engineer is responsible for for the damages there. So uh, even though the engineer themselves was charged twenty five thousand and also found guilty of professional misconduct, so they lost their license, right? So we know that as a professional engineer, you can lose your license. Um, the company was also charged. Uh, Vince, do you know how much they were charged for? A hundred million dollars. Hundred million dollars. Yeah. There you go. So the the company that hired the contracting company was was charged hundred million dollars um, through their insurance in order to fund cleanup efforts. And us, the taxpayers of Canada, probably more so the taxpayers of BC, were yeah, also probably busy. BC. Yeah. Yeah. We're also charged. Uh, no, it depends on if it was a federal cleanup or a provincial cleanup. But the idea is that uh, there was a forty million dollar subsidy from the government of Canada to help clean that up. So casual $140 million uh, thrown away to clean up uh, quite the mess, quite the mess. Uh, and just, um, just to add to that though, right? Like the, the, one of the head engineer got charged $25,000, but he also paid $107,000 in legal costs. Yeah. So there you go. So yeah, the classic, classic lawyers. Oh, <laughs> so yeah, we, we can guarantee you the, the, the minimum payment, but it's going to cost you four times that much in legal fees, right? So, um, yeah, yeah, that's, it's, it's a tough look. It's, it's just a classic, um, it's a classic example. It's the kind of example that they use all the time in training for, for ethical and professional misconduct dilemmas, where I believe the, the junior engineer was given kind of the authority to sign off on some drawings and on some calculations that they didn't have the experience in on behalf of the more experienced person who ended up paying the, the legal fees that we just talked about. And uh, of course, that's an unacceptable practice, right? So, so yeah. that's deferral of responsibility and also giving somebody responsibility that when you know. So it's negligence, I think, is, is what it would come down to, right? So. Yeah, I mean, we don't know all the details of it, but um, definitely negligence. And I think it's like I think it's for the students that that listen to this, right? It's it's a very common thing, right? Where where you you you're taking on a task that's maybe a little bit beyond what your experience is, right? And and what I say in in, in let's say my two G class, I was like, well, like just be very upfront with your with your employer or your boss and be like hey like this is this is beyond my scope right now right and it's okay to do that um because you you have a duty to to recognize where your expertise is right so yeah absolutely and it's something that i've been talking a little bit about um recently over the last especially brought on by the last year you know given the pandemic and stuff is like the ability to ask questions, right? And to challenge uh, your superiors a little bit on in terms of your comfort level or in terms of what the actual expectations are for you is something that that is a skill, right? It's a skill yeah. that needs practice. And it's something that, that I hope that our students can gain that confidence so that they're never kind of left in that situation. And um, yeah, it's just, you know, it's a tough story. Yeah, it, it, could, be a, it could be difficult for a junior engineer, right? To, to yeah. kind of speak up to your boss. But I mean, the ramification can be huge, hopefully not as huge as, as something like this, right? But um, yeah, it's, it's better to, to be upfront and be just, you know, talk to, talk to your, your uh, supervisor or whatnot, um, rather than coming to, to a point where, you know, you get this Mount Poli mining 
um, issue, right? So it's, yeah. yeah. And uh, I guess last kind of oratorious PSA for, for our students is, is things like when you have uh, courses that, that touch on ethics and professionalism on the professional practice and, and stuff, sometimes the attitude can be a little eye-rolly. It's like, yeah, okay, you know, it's obvious, you know, don't be bad, you know, but you know, it's sometimes it's not right when you get pressure from, from somebody and uh, you know, your job is on the line or you need to show like, what if your supervisor says like, well, if you can't do this, then what are you good for? Why am I even paying you? You know, you get that like kind of lean on you, especially yeah. when you need that experience, you're trying to get your own license. So you need them to sign off on your experience record. There can be a lot of like weird touchy things in play and, and really some of those, um, opportunities to get exposed to that information before graduating or before going into long-term internships or, or EIT positions is, is pretty helpful, you know, more often than not, right? Even if it doesn't seem like technical engineering content at the time, it doesn't mean it's not important. So anyway, so there you go. Um, let's just move on. Vince, yeah, you, you found something pretty cool that, uh, that blows my mind. So let's, yes. uh, let's talk about that. So, I mean, we're going to pump Google's tires again. Uh, we talked about Google last time, but we'll, we'll talk about, I mean, there's, they have their hands in so many things right now. It's it like, it literally blows my mind. Like, that, yes. I mean, they, they start with like, you know, a search engine, right. And like, you know, a search engine back then you had like Yahoo, you had like, Ask the Levit or whatever, like ask you know, like, Jeeves, ask Jeeves, ask Jeeves, and then, and Alta, then like just Alta Vista, Alta Vista. Would, yeah, like, yeah, you remember Alta Vista? Yeah, yeah just just like you know, and, and then Google takes over, and then now they're in like literally everything. Right? Yeah, like, I was I was gonna say you are allowed to be in everything if you have all the money in the world. So yeah. <laughs> just say it. So so I mean I guess they're into science as well, and and. Um, quantum computing has been a thing for, you know, the past probably a couple of decades or, or at least uh, in earnest a, a decade. Uh, in the past decade, there has been a lot of development there. Uh, I'm not an expert, just a disclaimer in quantum computing. Uh, but what the Google people did was um, through their quantum processor, they uh, created this new face of matter, um, something that was um, postulated back in 2012 by a Nobel Prize winner, um, that there is this thing called a time crystal. And you might be like, hey, like what is a time crystal? Um, well, like a normal crystal is uh, something that has a repeated pattern in a physical space, right? And they say that it'll, it'll break, it, it, uh, a crystal breaks, you know, a physical uh, translational symmetry uh, where a time crystal um, has a repeating pattern through time, um, even though it, it's in its, you know, base, uh, lowest energy state. So what that really means is that um, it doesn't just stay one, like stay as one static um, crystal. It, it it moves back and forth in between states throughout time, even though there's no energy input. And so literally, this this could uh, be claimed as a perpetual motion. Um, machine, although we right now don't have any ways of extracting that energy from, from the time crystals. But uh, they said they have created it. They actually published a paper, um, I mean, a preprint, so it's not pure pre-reviewed yet, um, but, but they have uh, published a preprint of their paper about how uh, they generated this um, time crystal, time crystalline eigenstate order on a qu quantum processor. That's that's the name of the paper. So 
uh, pretty cool stuff that Google is doing. Um, and and like, I, I don't know, uh, Jake, what's your thought on quantum computing before we talk about time crystal? Do, do you know much about quantum computing? Yeah, like, I mean, fun fun fact, I guess, just to, to quickly go on that. So you say like perpetual motion machine. So just to, to make it like really, really clear, this time crystal, the reason it's so... Well, first of all, it has a cool name and it's involved with quantum physics and everybody thinks that's, that's wicked. And, and like you, I'm no, I'm no expert in this stuff, but um, the violation of the second law of thermodynamics, right? Where the entropy of the universe always increases. In other words, there is always an irreversible loss to any kind of, of motion or any kind of energy expense, right? Like there's that irreversible loss. And this is why perpetual motion machines are impossible. Yet here we have this new state of matter that it doesn't really move as much as just exists, right? Between two different positions or two different states of being. So you've got its ground state as not being static, its ground state is transient in a way. And so in, in a manner of speaking, it is moving without changing the entropy of the universe. In other words, it is a perfectly reversible process so anybody that that you know knows like irreversible process that's basically everything ever um, but this is a reversible process hence the perpetual motion machine hence the potential mm -hmm. to solve the world's energy crisis right by violating the the second law of thermodynamics somehow to to create um, motion and therefore hopefully useful energy for nothing right like this is the the alchemical dream of any scientist so okay. Anyway, um, quantum computing is, is cool. Fun fact, I was actually um, working on a textbook on quantum computing with um, a university in Denmark, a Denmark Technical Institute, DTI. And uh, I was working with them for a few months. I ended up, uh, when the school year started, uh, taking a hiatus from that. But uh, it required me to look into a lot of you know basics in terms of quantum physics and stuff. And the, and the purpose of the textbook was on uh, trying to expand the use of quantum computing to solve chemical engineering problems. So uh, things like, not just like the protein folding problem, for example, but you also have things like uh, uh, crystal structure predictions or in more in my wheelhouse, which was optimization. So optimization developed not on a um, sequential computing or binary computing device, even in a parallelized state, but optimization actually taking advantage of quantum bits or in other words, right? Um, states of existence that are both zero and one at the same time. So quantum computing, it's, it's definitely in its early stages. Uh, like they can't really do anything with it right now. I, I can't remember what IBM has a, has a quantum computer. That's like, I think how many qubits is it? I think it's it's like, like 55. I was going to say 50, 56. Yeah. So, okay. I'm not crazy, but like, of course you can't do anything terribly useful with that, but at the same time, um, you don't have to go that much higher to create something useful than, than that because a quantum bit is so much more useful. And you can, you can look it up on your own time uh, if you're listening. Like what the math involved is, is the number of states that you can represent with, a, with regular bits, like zeros and ones, versus states that you can represent with quantum bits. You don't need to go that much higher to just completely overtake the world's biggest supercomputer yeah. um, pretty quickly. Now, the thing that I was working on was, was not the invention of those computers because I'm not, a, I'm not a, an engineer with any kind of knowledge on, on how that would work. Um, but what we need to do is rethink how problems are formulated, right? We need to rethink how the math works by using quantum theory and by actually you know, applying some of that 
um, in more practical applications, right? So, so things like chemical engineering problems, like plant simulations and optimization using that, which is, is, is pretty hard, right? You're, you're asking somebody to rethink the way that they think about math. Um, but at the end of the day, if it's possible, then, then quantum computing could be a huge step forward, right? Like a huge step forward. Yeah. yeah. And, and, so. and they're, they're still trying to achieve quantum supremacy, right? And, and that simply means like, you know, doing a calculation that uh, traditional computer can't do or yep. not can't, like can't do in a reasonable way. Yeah, like and, what and takes there, a lifetime would exactly. take no time. Yeah. Right. And, and there has been a couple of publications or, or a couple of news articles that have said um, that, that they have achieved it, but people have challenged it. But I think we're close. And, and, and the scary thing, I, I think, I mean, you're right. The application is immense, even in chemical engineering. But, but I think the scary thing is um, if quantum computing becomes a thing um, or become accessible, that then all our encryption go, goes to like, you know, like yep. gone. <laughs> we're done, yep. right? Like, you know, yep. like, you, you know, like cryptocurrency, like that's that. Like, you know what I mean? Like yep. so self-driving, self-driving cars. You can just hack into any self-driving yeah. car in like two seconds and, you know, you're off to the races literally and figuratively. So watch yeah. out there, but yeah, ab absolutely. And um, I wanted to mention something else about the quantum computers that I think is interesting is that it also, uh, in, a, in a manner of speaking, doesn't really violate the second law of thermodynamics, but one thing that a computer processor uh, especially a computer processor uh, composed of transistors and, and semiconductors is that it consumes energy and then kicks it off in the form of heat, right? And if you ever look at any of these uh, quantum computers that they have, first of all, they're like ridiculously huge. Uh, but then you got to remember like back in the 1950s, like if you wanted to play Pong, you know, back, back in the 60s and 70s when you were a kid, then you had to like book a room that had like a server looking thing, the size of a wall. And that was the computer that you used to play Pong. So like, let's, let's just imagine how far we've come from there. And then think about in our lifetime, where we'll go with, with the quantum computing thing. But the thing that makes it look so big, right. Is that it's got like four layers of freezers because the inner core operates at basically absolute zero right? Like, or as close to absolute zero as they can get. And that's not because it generates heat. Now that's the thing that that's so amazing to me. It doesn't generate heat at all uh, because there's no like kind of, uh, or maybe it generates a little bit, but there's no losses involved there. Right. It's just that it operates so much more efficiently uh, in terms of the calculation and you get so much less noise, like perturbation noise when it's so cold that they have to run these computers at minus 273 Celsius and it's like out of control. So yeah, that's but. true. And also I, I didn't know you, you, you had a, you had a textbook on. Quantum I don't, I mean, I, I was chipping in, I wrote a few proposals for it and, and hopefully that the guys, a really nice group in uh, DTI. I hope that okay. they've made some progress in a little bit, but I just wasn't able to sustain it last, uh, last fall. Jake last fall was kind of hard. I don't know if you were aware. Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. There was a pandemic. Yeah. I, I guess you probably forgot. It was some, <laughs> some weird thing, but, um, but Jake Neese, man of many talents, you know? <laughs> yeah. Not really. It's, it's funny. Right. Cause I'm like, Hey, I don't know anything about quantum physics. And they're like, that's okay. Neither do we, we're going to learn it first. And then we're going to do it. I'm like, you know what, if anything, that's a great motivation to learn quantum physics. Yeah. So fun fact, I actually got a, so it's in my office. I, I would show it to you. We're on a, we're on a video call right now, but, but I would show it to you. In my office, there is a book, uh, Introduction to Quantum Mechanics, and I can't remember the author, but it was, it was pretty good. It was pretty good. It had a lot of like hand-derived math in it, which was a little bit messy, 
but it, it gave a decent explanation of, of a lot of the basic principles of, of quantum mechanics. But the, the funny thing is, is that on the front cover of the book is a cat, okay? So like your, your classic Heisenberg's cat, right? Um, Schrodinger, no? Schrodinger's cat, I'm an idiot. Yeah, Heisenberg's uncertainty, Schrodinger's cat. Thank you. So on the front cover is a cat, right? And guess what's on the back cover? A box. <laughs> no, you can do better Another than that. Hmm? Another cat. Another cat that is? Dead. It's dead. Yeah. So, so it's like the most like brutal textbook artwork I've ever seen. There's just like an illustration of a cat on the front and then on the back, the cat is dead, right? And that's the classic Schrodinger's cat that, that is used as an example, uh, usually out of context, right? But it's an example of entanglement theory, yeah. uh, which is which is kind of fun. But anyway, Schrodinger's cat is, is both alive and dead on my textbook at the same time. It's, it's a little Speaking bit- Speaking of tough. cats, do you still have your cats there? Yeah, no, I got a cat now. It's super <laughs> exciting. He's actually asleep in his carrier. He's the only, okay, this cat's crazy. So this cat is just like a dog. He loves his belly getting scratched. Like when was the last time you ever met a cat that if you start petting it, it like flips over and wants you to scratch it? He doesn't hiss at you? No, he's just like, he's so chill. And he like has this really funny meow. And he's always like, you know, doing this weird stuff. He's just always like a dog. Right now he is behind me. You can't see because it's on the floor, but his cat like cage, like the carrier cage or whatever, he just sleeps in it. Like what, when have you ever met a cat that likes going in its carrier? It's like the most traumatic experience for them, but like, it's just open in, in my office behind me with the door open. And like three hours ago when I was working, he just like marched on in there and just fell asleep. And he's been in there ever since. And he's just chilling. That's he's, awesome. he's hilarious. He's great. So for our loyal listeners, what's your cat's name? I'm sure uh, they would want to know. The cat's name is, is Leo. Um, it, we adopted the cat from another family. So the, nice. it came with a name. I call him Leonardo DiCatrio. Uh, that's my, <laughs> that's my name for him. So that's awesome. he's, uh, he's hilarious though. Thank you for, thank you for asking. And yeah, well, what a segue from quantum, quantum mechanics to, uh, to your cat. Yeah, that's, that's, that's the kind of thing that you can only get with hours and hours of preparation and not going <laughs> off the cuff at all. So, yeah. Um, okay. Last topic before we get to our interview with Jenna. Right. Yeah. So we have a great right. interview coming up with uh, Genevieve Kanant about um, about about industry. So somebody that's been in industry for a little bit longer than uh, Noel was. And then obviously, uh, Dr. Adams is, is more on the academic side. But Genevieve has uh, had multiple positions at different companies. Right. So we're excited to talk to her a little bit about what it's like to change roles. You know, what's some some practical advice is if, if things aren't working out or are working out, you have different opportunities. How do you manage those relationships? So um, she's going to give us a little bit of a, a heads up on that. Yeah, but, but before we, that, let's talk about the Jays. Right? Yeah, we did like, want to talk about the Blue Jays, didn't we? They're I mean, the, the Blue yeah. Jays. You know? <laughs> and, and I mean, they're they're red hot right now, right? So let, let me just kind of pull up how, how many games back are they on the wild card spot? Do you, do you know? So going into last night, I think it was two and a half. So oh, for those fantastic. of us uh, listening, the, the current date is Thursday, August 12th is when we are talking right now. So they beat the Angels 10-2 last night on the yeah. back of a grand slam by my, by my fantasy boy, Teoscar Hernandez. Thank you very much. But, um, but yeah, I think they were two and a half back going in. It's, it's, a, weird, it's a weird situation. So they're playing some great baseball. I am going to go to a game on August 24th. So I'm very excited, oh, nice. uh, provided that we don't enter the fourth wave so hard that they shut the economy down again by August 24th, <laughs> which 
might happen and would really upset me for more reasons than just missing the, uh, the baseball game, obviously. But, uh, but I am going to go see a game and I'm very excited. They're playing the White Sox. Um, so that should be, should be pretty good. But, uh, but yeah, they're, they're playing well and they're in this weird spot, right? Where typically if you're two and a half games out of a wild card spot, you could justify making some aggressive moves and they did make some good moves uh, particularly Jose Barrios is a, is yeah. a great ad. Oh. And especially with uh, Ross Stripling, the stockbroker who, um, <laughs> who is just tearing it out right now. Yeah. Right? But he got hurt though on, uh, on bad. Tuesday, he like yeah. strained his oblique. And if we know anything about baseball, especially for hitting, I don't know much about pitching, but, but oblique strains are bad news. Like they yeah. take a long time. So, so anyway, good thing that they got the extra pitcher and, um, and yeah, like usually you're two and a half out and you're like, okay, we can make a, we can make a hard push just like the Jays did in 2015, right? Like 2015 is, the modern era of, of like craziness. And then 2015, 2016 with like the bat flip, you know, everyone yeah. was the bat flip. And, um, but the, here's the problem though, right? Like they're two and a half games back, but there's like six teams all within yeah. two and a half it's games. Crazy. Wild like, card th- this wild card race has been insane. Like, yeah. But I mean, you, you're going to a good game, right? The sock, the, the socks are what two, two and a half games above us they, they, they are in the wild card spot right did are they, they in the, yeah the white the white socks no the white socks is uh no the white socks is no where are they the white socks is i don't think the white socks well first of all they're 67 and 48 so i mean okay yeah so they're up there too so anyway there, right yes the red socks i think are a little bit ahead of us right because they they tumbled out of first place i think in the al east uh, recently. Yeah, I mean, we're in the, the t- I don't understand Tampa, but like Tampa just does it every year, right? Like it's because Kevin Cash is an evil scientist, and the Tampa Bay management system has this like incredible setup where they just like only pay players until they become worthy of being paid, and then they just ship them all off to get more play. Like somehow they just keep nailing the farm system every time. It's like understand. Moneyball, but like you know, yeah, they got Brad Pitt in there behind the scenes and Jonah Hill. <laughs> they're crunching the numbers. That, that's a good movie though like it is a good movie yeah it i enjoyed it and i don't know okay like obviously I, i'm not super familiar with the whole the true story of like billy bean baseball and yeah. all that kind of thing uh and i don't know how many liberties were taken in the film because like you know usually those films if it was a true story it's like not like really that true it's like kind of self-serving in, in a lot of ways but if that story is, is close to being true in terms of like just the change of, of attitude and like how, you know, Billy Bean's attitude around the whole thing was, it's, it's pretty impressive. Um, and also just exposes you to the struggles of a baseball team in a small market when you don't have the budget, like the Yankees or the Red Sox or the Dodgers or even the Blue Jays for that matter. Yeah. Um, and, and you've got like a kind of a minimum payroll it's a, uh, it's, it's weird. Right. And it's hard to come up with a contender when you can't attract free agents. And that's what Tampa's like, right. They can't attract or they don't, they choose not to attract the big name. Well, the, their field is also awful. It, well, yeah, there was a rumor about the, the Rays splitting time between Montreal and Tampa Bay, right. In, in the upcoming yeah. years, kind of like the, to bring back the expos sort of, but I don't know where they would play in Montreal, I guess Olympic stadium, but like apparently Again, that's like, no, like brutal. That's, that's worse than the trap. So Ooh, like... the, the trap is bad. Um, but anyway, yeah. Blue Jays looking good. Well, yeah. And I mean, yeah. Jose Barrios and then Alec Manoa has been a revelation. You, like, you know, I, like... grabbed, I grabbed Alec Manoa on the, uh, 
on the oh, waiver yeah. wire in fantasy. I'm, I'm well, surprised he's, he's still available. Fantasy. Like, well, no, but, I grabbed him months ago, like okay, before he made his sure. first start, like right before nice. he was about to make his first start. I was like, yeah. okay, I'll take a, I'll take a risk on yeah. this. Like Ro- Robbie Ray is, is doing well. Right. Yeah. And then, and then Jordan Romano is, is turning out to be the, a the beer? solid safe. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Like you know, Laura, safe machine now. Or Laura like, loves know. uh Robbie Ray because he 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 uh let's just say that she thinks he fills out those pants with that butt like perfectly. You know, he's always like, oh, that's the guy that wears the, the pants that are too tight. I'm like, yeah, that's right. But uh, you know, he's absolutely just ripping it out there. It's yeah. great. He's got great hair too. I love that like faux yeah. hawk look. He he rocks all the time as well. And and, and then our our you know our our lineup has been as advertised right like yeah, yeah. i mean george springer had, had like you know like a slow start but now it's just like tearing it up so well i mean the man has 15 home runs in like 30 games yeah or it's crazy like maybe a little bit more than 30 i don't want to give him yeah. more credit and credit to do but even if it's like 40 games that's a 60 home run a season pace right like that's a that's a monumental pace um yeah and vladdy's vladdy's hit the schneid a little bit recently uh, yeah. uh so he's not He's not hitting quite as well as he was. He's still on the season up over 300. But I think if you looked at him over the last month, he's probably hitting around 220, 230. It's been a bit of a tough go. But um, the rest of the offense, like he carried the team. Yeah, so and, until George Springer came, right? So, And then now, yeah, now every, basically Vladdy and Simeon. And then Bo took a while to heat up. But, yeah. but Bichette's been better. Oscar was out with COVID-19 for a while, right? Now he's kind of like back to, to hitting. He's hitting over 300 this year, which is really great. So we got the situation where even though Vladdy is, is going through a little bit of a rough patch and he'll get out of it because, you know, he's, he's Vladdy, but yeah. the rest of the team is really like stepping up, right? Yeah. And and, and I, I like Corey Dickerson coming back, a, a lefty, right? Just yeah. Well, I was, you know, I was shocked oh. because I, I saw a game the other day where they had Corey Dickerson and Brabeck Valera and Reese McGuire all batting. And I was like, what's three left-handed batters. Wait a minute. What's going on. Yeah. And, you know, as a lefty myself in baseball, it just really makes me happy. It's the only reason that Phil Mickelson is my favorite golfer, you know, because he was like the only lefty, lefty around when I was a kid, him and Mike Weir represent, but. Yeah. Um, and at yeah. least Reese McGuire is actually producing something from, from behind the plate now so yeah and i'm a huge fan of captain kirk so uh, yeah. I'm, a, I'm an alejandro kirk fan i think he's i think he's hilarious so i actually thought that they had traded him um oh yeah well i so i i was listening to a thing on trade deadline day i was in the car coming home from something and i just kind of turned it on in the middle of when they were talking about uh, a trade that they made i think they were talking about austin martin at the time, but, but given the context, I think I, I thought that they were talking about Alejandro Kirk. And I think that it's because they were talking about how Danny Jansen got hurt again. Um, so I was a little bit confused, but, um, but anyway, Oh no, no, it was Riley Adams. They traded Riley Adams. He was the catcher. Right. So they traded him and I thought that they were trading. I was so sad. And then I saw him in a game and I was elated. So there you go. All right. So um, nice to chat with you, Vince. We, we have an interview coming up, so let's go and do that. And then we will come back with our uh, episodic tier list. It's going to be a good time. All right. Let's take a quick break and come back in a minute.
All right, and we are now very thrilled to be joined by Genevieve Conant, who is here to answer a few questions and tell us about her experience uh, at McMaster and then beyond. How are you doing tonight, Jenna? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, you are doing us a big favor and we appreciate it a lot. So jumping right in, uh, hoping that you could give us an introduction, uh, tell our listeners about your time at Mac and your career since. Absolutely. So hello, podcast world. Uh, I'm Jenna. For any of you current students, you probably don't know me personally because I graduated in 2014 from the Department of Chemical Engineering. And I was uh, actually a part of the Chemical Engineering and Bioengineering program. So that's what I graduated from following uh, um, undergrad, I uh, completed my master's at the University of Toronto under the supervision of Dr. Melitza Radisic. So her field is um, tissue engineering, regenerative medicine in that kind of space. So I, um, my project was looking at cardiovascular tissue engineering and could we use these engineered heart constructs as a preclinical drug screening model. So I was very interested in this kind of world of, of you know, using are the stem cells and using tissues to regrow organ systems, and and can we can we heal the body with um, kind of with cells as opposed to just small molecules? Uh, in my master's, though, I realized I didn't want to continue on to a PhD. It wasn't really the the area I wanted to go into. I didn't really want to go into academia, um, and. So that led me to uh, take a position at a startup out of the University of Toronto called Amicathera. So they're a startup out of the lab of Dr. Molly Schroikett, and they were looking at, or they should, I should say they are looking at um, injectable sustained drug delivery systems. So the idea would be if you were to have surgery, let's say a knee replacement or a hip replacement, you can inject the, the hydrogel with the drug into that area and you would have the, the pain treatment or the pain killing medication delivered right to the system or right to the area so you don't have to worry about um, taking you know taking pain killing pills or or IV drips or anything like that so I was really interested in getting into industry because I thought this is really cool we can have all this amazing technology that's coming out of the lab but it's not actually getting into to the patients. It's just kind of getting written up in a thesis and getting put on a shelf or getting written into a journal article and getting put on the shelf. So my time at, at Amicathera was a really cool transition out of grad school and into industry. And after about 10 months there, I was um, looking for, for a more stable position, a more permanent position. And that led me to getting a job at Covalon Technologies. So they are a uh, medical device company based out of Mississauga. They do, uh, they create technologies and they, and they market technologies in the field of advanced wound care, um, uh, infection prevention, and medical device coatings. So I was uh, employed as a scientist. Well, I, I started as an associate scientist, and then I got promoted to scientist. And in that role, I was in the lab developing these technologies. So I got to do a little bit of internal development where we'd make products that we sell ourselves, as well as um, working with our kind of other side of the business where we would work with other clients who had technologies, and they would be looking to mirror it and combine it with ours our own platform technologies, I should say. So yeah, so that was really, really interesting. But deep down, I always knew that I wanted to get back into that space of, of cell and gene therapy and, and tissue engineering and regenerative medicine. I didn't think any companies like that existed yet. I'm not going to lie. I thought it was still kind of science fiction <laughs> until I um, started noticing that there was this company called Blue Rock Therapeutics that had been kind of um, over the last few years have been gaining more, more traction and then been raising funding for their for their kind of first round of, of products. And so about two months ago, I actually 
started a position at Blue Rock as a clinical formulation development, sorry, in the Department of Clinical Formulation Development. So I am part of the team that helps develop the system that will be used to deliver these cell products into patients. So that's what I currently do right now. That's really awesome. Um, just, you know, the, the wealth of experience you have from, you know, grad school to a startup company to, to now, you know, like a, like a tissue engineering uh, therapeutic company. Um, so with all the experience that you have, can you tell us a little bit about your experience at Mac first? And then what are some of the critical skills that you kind of picked up along the way that you use uh, in your career right now? Absolutely. Yeah. So I, um, I mean, I am so grateful for, for, my experience at McMaster, I can definitely say that I would not be in the position I am today, or, or really the person I am today, if it weren't for those, for my time there, both from the academic side and the, the extracurricular side. Um, so academically, I am definitely the scientist I am today because of the technical skills that I gained being an engineer, just the actual, you know, the, the technical courses, whether it's fluid mechanics, um, heat and mass transfer, uh, energy transfer, those kinds of thermodynamics, those kinds of things, but also just the approach to teaching problem solving and critical thinking and thinking outside the box. Those skills that I gained is literally what I do every day. All I do is solve problems. I get approached with a problem and I have to think of a, a creative way to address that, whether it's, um, you know, taking things that have already been created and can we adapt it to our system, thinking completely out of the box and applying something that has never been done here and seeing if we can tweak it for what we wanna do. Um, so yeah, so I mean, I use the, the skills that I, I gained at Mac um, and just kind of their approach to, to solving problems every single day. Um, on the other side of things, I was heavily involved in, like I mentioned, extracurriculars. So I was uh, you know, a tour guide for the engineering outreach office and involved in their kind of outreach events. I was a member of the McMaster Engineering Musical for my years there and ended up actually directing the show in my final year. And those experiences really helped hone my soft skills. So my interpersonal communication, my uh, teamwork and leadership skills. And the more I spend time in industry, the more I realize that those skills are invaluable. And just the ability to communicate um, between different departments, not just your peers, but also maybe people who don't share a common background as you, uh, being able to work as a team, because from my experience, every place I've worked with has never been an independent sport. <laughs> Everything, everything's been a team sport. We work together, we succeed as a team, we fail as a team. So understanding those team dynamics is really important. Um, and also just gaining the ability, working in, in kind of these different extracurriculars you're put in situations where maybe you don't know everyone and networking is an element of it but it's also just being comfortable in, in crowds and being comfortable with presenting yourself and selling yourself is is definitely helpful just in in industry in general so yes i am very grateful for my time at mcmaster and i learned a lot doing it to say the least <laughs> That's great. Thanks so much. And, and it's nice to hear somebody reflect on the fact that you appreciate the process of learning and the process of applying yourself as much as, if not more than, the hard-nosed facts, uh, which, mm -hmm. which, of course, you don't necessarily use those on a day-to-day -day basis, depending on the field that you're in, but, but the process of learning and the process of, of going through that and being able to come up with creative solutions is something that endures kind of no matter what you do, right? So Absolutely. That's yeah, it's, it's not necessarily about knowing the answer. It's about knowing how to find the answer. Perfect. And I think that's the key. <laughs> well said. And uh, so now what I'm going to do is take that question, kind of turn it around on you a little <laughs> bit. So, you know, you, you had nothing but good things to say about Mac, but did you do anything 
that maybe you wish you would have done differently? Do you, do you think that maybe you participated in things that looking back, you're like, yeah, maybe I shouldn't have, or, or do you have anything that, that maybe our students can learn from if, if any mistakes were made? Oh, definitely. <laughs> um, I, I don't like to say I, I regret anything, but if I had been given the opportunity again, there are definitely different opportunities I would have taken. So when I was an undergrad, uh, I will not lie, I was scared of the real world. I was terrified of life outside of university. So I knew I wanted to do grad school because I was interested in this kind of biomaterials, tissue engineering, biomedical engineering kind of field. And I noticed that a lot of those career options you needed um, a PhD or, or a master's or some sort of, of graduate school. So I said, okay, all I'm going to do in my summers of, of undergrad is work in the lab. So I got a position working in as a research associate in the labs out of McMaster. Not to say I regret my time doing that at all, because I met wonderful people and learned amazing things. But in hindsight, I think it would have been advantageous if I'd also taken the opportunity to try some industry placements and try some co-ops, whether I had done, you know, the full 12 month co-op or just some summers, maybe working at, at, a, at a company or something like that. That's something that I think I would have benefited from because it would have given me that exposure to what industries really like sooner because I was convinced I wanted to go into grad school because I was really scared about the real world. And I thought, no, I'm just gonna postpone it for a little bit longer and, and just stay in grad school. Um, so in hindsight, I think that would have been something that I should have stepped outside of my comfort zone and just put myself out there and, and tried it and not be scared of making a mistake. Cause I think that was my problem. I was scared about going somewhere and hating it, but you can learn a lot from those experiences and, and knowing that even if it's a, a four month co-op, it's not the end of the world. You don't, you might love it. You might hate it, but you learn a lot from the experience. So that's something that I, um, anyone who's thinking about grad school and who's focused on grad school, maybe, maybe, take some time and, and try something else. You never know what you're going to like. I think that's the big thing. That's funny because that's exactly why I went to grad school as well. And I guess I'm still at school, so I never went into the real world. So, <laughs> and Jake is probably the same thing. Um, <laughs> so, so, I mean, you have been in a workplace for a few years now. Um, so, you know, just reflecting on, on your experience in the workplace, uh, what are some experiences that aligned with your expectation coming out of school? And, and what are some things that were kind of like, oh, you didn't expect? So one thing I, I did uh, think that was kind of more important was having the answers all the time. And I think I mentioned this earlier is I think that was part of the reason I was scared of going into the real world was that I was expected to know all these things and just to be to, to always know what the answer is and know how to move forward. And what I realize now is no one knows what they're doing ever. <laughs> like, as silly as that sounds, that everyone is, you know, there's some people who, who can make decisions super fly, super quick on the fly like that. But most of us, you know, we get pre presented with the situation and we say, okay, let me think, let me, you know, look at what I've done in the past, look at what resources I have and make a decision off that. So that's definitely been different. Um, so whether that was my own anxieties in, in undergrad <laughs> talking then, but um, also understanding that in, in at least in the industries I've been in, maybe it's because I've been in research and development, that it really is a team. And I've been very fortunate to work at uh, institutions where they encourage that teamwork. So even if I have a problem, I'm not solving it on my own. I can approach my colleagues, I can approach my supervisor and come up with these problems and they're there to help. It's not just like, I'm in a corner and they say, Haha, figure it out, you're on your own, <laughs> sink or swim, go. <laughs> so that's been nice because it's, I, I didn't think that in industry you'd have that support network. And, and I've been fortunate that at these 
these places where I've been, you really have had that support network. So that's been, uh, um, that's been really, really nice and really encouraging. And, and so something that I, I was scared of um, didn't really come true. The other thing I didn't think, and I think I mentioned this earlier as well, was I honestly didn't think that these types of careers or these types of jobs in this kind of field of, of cell therapy and gene therapy existed yet. And so that's one thing that um, in undergrad, I just, I didn't really fully understand what types of jobs were out there in the field of biomedical engineering and this like chemeng, bioeng, bio like materials kind of space. I just honestly didn't know what was out there. I thought it's like, I could go work in oil and gas as a process engineer. I could go work at Dow and do chemistry stuff. <laughs> I just, didn't have a good understanding of the types of jobs that I could do. And it's not even just research-based. It's, um, you know, you could do, uh, you know, process control at a pharmaceutical company. You can do medical science liaison if you like that kind of biology side and the, the technical side and working with people. So there's so many different things out there. And I was just so focused on what I didn't know or what I, what I thought I knew that I didn't take the time to look <laughs> and see what was actually out there. So, yeah, there's a lot of jobs out there. <laughs> Yeah, I think we really need to get you uh, talking to some first years with your with your job <laughs> suggestions that aren't oil and gas, because yeah, that aligns right. perfectly with the messaging that we're trying to convey. Um, and honestly, not doing a terrific job. We're we're trying. We're we're looking for strategies. And I can confirm uh, what Jenna said when she said that nobody knows what they're doing, because that is also <laughs> true of me. So, uh, and Vince is pointing at himself too. So you know, yeah, we we have no clue. Um, but, but that's all right. So, all right. Last, last question. That's like kind of what I would say a professional style question. So as you mentioned, uh, you changed jobs a few months back to, to blue rock therapeutics, right. And you pursued this opportunity because a, you didn't even know that this field really existed and it was there. And then, and then B, it was something that you were passionate about, um, having had that experience in the startup and with Covalon prior to, that was a little more aligned with what you were interested in. So my question here for our students that are a little concerned about things like, you know, loyalty to your job and or like, what do I do? How do I handle the workplace dynamic? Uh, do you have any perspective or advice um, on changing companies kind of mid-career? So do you, do you specifically have things for our students if they maybe are graduating or, or maybe they're looking for co-ops, something that they can put in their back pocket for when they get to the workplace that, that they'll feel good about? Yeah, it's a really awkward experience, that's for sure. <laughs> um, and it's even more awkward if you like the person you work for. Um, that makes it super awkward. Uh, and I mean, there's so many reasons why someone might want to change the position that they're currently in. Uh, it could be that maybe the the organization they're at doesn't offer the the growth they're hoping to get. Um, it could be that maybe they just don't like the organization they're working for and there might be some clashing going on for whatever reason. And it could just be that, you know, you're not as interested in the position as you thought you'd be and you've been in there for a few years and you just want to change because you want to do something different. Um, it, it's not, it's okay to feel awkward. Like it, it will be awkward. It's uncomfortable because I have this, I'm one of those people that feel guilty about letting people down. So it's like, I don't want to let you down. I'm sorry, I'm leaving. I don't hate you, but it's just because, you know, this is a really awesome opportunity for me. So it's, you need to advocate for yourself. You're not, they shouldn't make you feel guilty for leaving. Uh, however, that being said, there is a, a good and a bad way to handle it. I would definitely not recommend just saying, I'm leaving tomorrow, goodbye. Here's my, like my, 
um, not retirement, um, resignation letter. Here's my resignation letter. See ya. Don't do that, uh, especially if you want to maintain those relationships further down. So at my at my previous company, um, I had a really good relationship with my supervisor and I consider him a good friend. So when I left, I, I really didn't want to burn that bridge because he's he's a wonderful person and I really enjoyed working with him as well as the rest of my team. So it's, you know, when you're when you're in that awkward situation, approach them and, and have that conversation with them to let them know uh you know this isn't a comment on on you or this isn't a comment on on the work or whatever the reason is that you're leaving be open and honest with them and i personally chose i know they always say you have to give two weeks notice i personally chose to give longer because i wanted to make sure that i could make that transition period as smooth as possible from when i was leaving and the work that i was doing transition to other people so yeah um it will be awkward that's okay depending on how you want to leave your relationship with the with the company you can either choose the whole hi i'm gone see you never or you can have communicate with your with your team or with your supervisor or manager whoever it is and and work through it at the end of the day if they care about you they should be happy for you and if they are not then maybe that says more about them <laughs> i don't know that was my personal opinion it will be it will be uncomfortable it will suck your heart will be palpitating i cried i will be honest <laughs> so and that's okay um yeah it's not it's not fun <laughs> but sometimes it's necessary yeah vince and i have never had a real job so we don't have a job to lose <laughs> so we're we're we we are uh, still not in the real world but but thank you so much that's great oh, absolutely anytime <laughs> Yeah, I mean, yeah, we don't have real jobs, so but that's <laughs> that's great advice um, to our students, um, and we can't really give any advice to our students, so that's why we have <laughs> that's why we have interviewees like you, Jenna. Uh, so now we're done with our our quote unquote professional questions. Uh, now we're moving to more lighthearted questions. So let me ask you, um, what do you do for fun? Like, what, what do you do outside of work? Ooh, I love it when people ask me this because. I consider myself a very eclectic person. Usually when I tell people what my interests are, they say, really? <laughs> um, so I mentioned that I was part of the engineering musical at Mac and musical theater is definitely one of my passions. I have grew up with theater. I love singing, I love dancing, put me on the stage. I will ham it up on stage, put me in the audience. I just wanna watch, I love it. It's, it's a huge part of my life. Um, and I get a lot of, but you're in science. Science people do musical theater and yes we do and it's fun so um, so yeah so that's a big a, a big part of my life i still am involved in in community theater throughout the gta obviously not right now because you know COVID is still iffy and and these things haven't started up again but it's something i'm really passionate about um i also uh love the outdoors so i'm a big camper i love hiking um, my dog and i and my husband we'll go on a lot of hikes and we'll go camping together and go canoeing i love being out on the water um i also love rock climbing so i'm really happy that the gyms are open now because i can get back to the gym although i realized after not climbing for a year i have no muscles but that's okay. And I also love to crochet. So, you know, I'm hanging upside down from a rock knitting you a, or crocheting you a, a sweater or something. <laughs> but that's me. Um, I'm a big dork too. you know, give me video games, give me uh, comic books and that kind of stuff. But I, um, yeah, I like a little bit of everything. 
but that's me in a nutshell. So if any of those things interest you, hit me up. I'd love to chat. Yeah, that is wide and varied. Um, <laughs> right? <laughs> interest. <I know. laughs> um, eclectic is a fantastic word. Um, right. And so, yeah. Um, so the, our, the, the second lighthearted question is, uh, can you tell us a funny story when you were at Mac? I have a lot. Some of them are not probably appropriate for this podcast, but I did come up with one that I think is a perfect example of the resilience and resourcefulness of engineers. Um, it was not a funny story at the time, but in hindsight, I think it is a funny story. Um, so I, well, most of my stories come back to the musical because that's where I spent most of my time when I was not studying. Um, but uh, in my final year, I directed the engineering musical and for those of you who aren't involved in the show, how we used to do it, at least back then, um, was we would hold the show at a high school downtown called Sir Johnny McDonald. And we would always run the show during March break. So that way we could get access to the auditorium and not have, uh, not have to worry about it interfering with school. So we're, it's, we're in the theater, it's show week. Uh, we've been in there a few days. It's Tuesday night. We're working through some, some glitches and some tech issues, getting ready for our dress rehearsal tomorrow. And the theater manager comes up to me and says, I just want to let you know it's going to snow tomorrow. And I thought, okay, that's great. Whatever, it's Ontario. We, it snows. And he says, no, it's going to snow a lot. And I thought, okay, well, I have snow tires, so that's not a big deal. And he said, well, they might call a snow day. And I learned that day that even when school's not in session, the school board can still call a snow day. So I thought, wait, what? He's like, oh yeah, if, if this, they call a snow day, you can't get into the theater. I'm not allowed to let you in. I'm sorry, that's just how it goes. And I thought, you're, you're bluffing. Like, no way, it's not gonna be a snow day. They're not gonna close down the theater. We'll be able to hold our dress rehearsal. It'll be fine. Well, lo and behold, Wednesday morning arrives and I wake up, check my computer and Hamilton Wentworth District School Board has called a snow day. So after shouting an expletive very loudly and about 10 minutes of crying in the fetal position, we, I muster up the courage to say, all right, team, what are we going to do? How are we going to hold a dress rehearsal? Because we open tomorrow and we need to do something. Theater people are very superstitious and no one wants to not have a dress rehearsal the night before the show. But we have no costume. The band doesn't have their instruments. Crew doesn't have their crew stuff, like their, their props and stuff like that. What are we going to do? So one of our one of the members of the team um, was part of, I forget what the group's called, Avtech. They're the ones who do, who like, do the stages and stuff for, for things on the campus. And he said, I have an idea. And he pulls out this giant curtain and we go to the third floor of the student center and hold a makeshift like show just in our pajamas on the third floor of the student center for anyone who happened to be walking by. And that's where we had our dress rehearsal the night before we opened for the, uh, the 2014 McMaster Engineering Musical. So if you happen to be taking a nap in the student center that night, I'm sorry. <laughs> we were singing and dancing kind of loudly. But it just shows you that, you know, it was a crazy situation. No one could foresee it, but the whole team came together and I was so proud of how everyone handled it and everyone's ideas. And yeah, it was, um, well, at the time I was not in a good place. Looking back on it, I said, wow, that was funny. And it pulled, we pulled through and it was an amazing show. And I mean, how often is it that like some of the most trying times of your life, right? Some of the most crazy things where you're just like, well, you know, shit's hitting the fan. Here we go. Yep. And yep. you just got a deal. And mm -hmm. then you look back on that and it's just hilarious, right? Like, exactly. I so many, so exactly. many funny stories from high school, even just like my car breaking down in the, in the dead of winter, like my yep. throttle cable snapping. And it's just like, it, it, 
at the time you're just like spazzing out but it's yeah. just hilarious you know yeah like, and it's definitely one of those times where you're all in it together <laughs> like everyone's dealing with this too so it's like all right i guess this is typical engineering we're all in you know essentially a shit situation <laughs> but we pull through it as a team we come through it together that's how it works hey, and you know what that's that's awesome and i'm glad yeah. that you had that experience and at the end of the day i'm sure the, the show was was terrific i don't i, I usually go to musical i don't mm -hmm. remember going in in 2014 though what was the musical it was snow white and the seven to one ratio based uh, off of snow white and the seven dwarfs <laughs> oh that's yep. a good one yeah i was i was very proud of the name yeah. i thought it was very clever yep all right yep. um Okay, last last question. So I don't know if you're aware if you've been listening to the podcast. I don't think you have because you're you know this is still fairly early for us. But each week uh, or each episode, I should say, we're we're doing a, a little tier list. It's something that Vince and I can argue about and banter and and um, basically gives me an opportunity to dump on things like the board game Clue and feel good about it <laughs> on air. So um, this week. We are doing a tier list on television sitcoms. We've heard that you are into, uh, you take your TV very seriously, I believe yes. is, is what we were told. Mm -hmm. So I was uh, hoping you could give us a ranking on a couple of uh, pretty popular shows or, or common shows, kind of some older ones and some newer ones. We've got three here for you. Uh, just so that you're aware, we're using a scale A, B, C, D, F. So you're kind of your typical academic scale, A being the best and F being the worst, except there's a special class uh, S which is even better than A. So you get to right. like put one in like the, the gold medal of the Olympics podium if you, if you so choose, okay? Right. So we're looking, we'll do it kind of rapid fire. I've got three for you. Maybe just give us what you think it is and then maybe a quick explanation, all right? Uh, we're going to start with an absolute classic that many people have seen um, and it's, it's extremely popular. It's gonna be Friends. Oh, Friends. So I will be honest, I have lost track of how many times I've seen Friends. If you were to ask me about probably 10, 15 years ago, I would have said Friends is probably my favorite TV show. Now, it has been replaced by other shows, but I do still, it'll always have a very soft spot in my heart. And I used to have the whole DVD box set before Netflix was a thing. And I probably worn down the DVDs because I've watched them so much. So um, I would definitely put friends in the a to s spot because it's just it's there it, there's certain things about it that didn't age well but oh i can still watch that show and get a real good chuckle out of it <laughs> and have many discussions with people on who is the best friend because that's a very hot topic hot topic item <laughs> hot button item i should say <laughs> yeah nice nice yeah no it's, i i assume that that would be that would be up there yeah. so let's go a little bit more modern than friends and go with one that can be a bit divisive, depending on who you ask, but it's uh, its popularity is pretty much undisputed at this point. Wondering how you would rate the Big Bang Theory. Oh, okay, when I, when, oh yeah. So, hmm. it's funny you mention the divisiveness of the Big Bang Theory, because I am definitely on the side of oh, Big Bang Theory. Because when it first started, I remember watching it and thinking, this is so great. It's nerds on TV. I'm a nerd. I'm on TV. I love this. Um, you know, they had made jokes about the Doppler effect and stuff like that. And I thought it was amazing. And then as the show went on, I noted, okay, okay. So I'm going to get really, I'm not philosophical, but like really deep here because I have had this discussion many times about the Big Bang Theory. As it went on, I felt like it was less about celebrating nerds and more about making fun of them. And that hurt as a nerd, it hurt me. And I felt that it wasn't representing me anymore. So I 
loved the first like maybe season two seasons something like that and then I really did not like it and I felt like it was like making fun of the people that they were supposed to have as their audience so I don't know I just got very frustrated with it so Big Bang Theory I would put at the bottom of that list just because mm, they broke my heart they had so much potential and they broke my heart yeah so that's my feelings on the Big Bang Theory I'm on the do not like side I know why people like it but it makes me sad what's the uh you got to give it a grade though you giving it the F really uh, I'd give it maybe I'd give it the D all right. Because it's like there were some great moments and there were some great episodes, but just like I I stopped watching probably the third or fourth season and I have no desire to go back and finish it. The Fair betrayal enough. is real. Yeah, it just it just broke my heart. I'm sorry. Yeah. It hurt. Don't you don't you hate shows? And, and not not like it's on the same level, but don't you hate shows that that start out with such promise and then just tank? Mm-hmm. Right. Like I'm thinking yeah. of Lost. Man, I, yeah. I, I was so into Lost and then I know. like Oh man. I know, anyway, I same. Like <laughs> lost I I did watch it all the way through, but I remember just being at the end and thinking, what? <laughs> Yeah, well, that's it was the, just like, the, oh, his name is Christian Shepherd. How did yeah. you not notice that the whole yeah. time? I'm like, I did though. Yeah. Like, yeah. come on. Oh, yeah. that's anyway. the problem with Lost. It just like string you along, and then it was just like a complete letdown at the end. You know, like yeah. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. No, I feel you. So all right. So last but certainly not least, we're gonna go on a bit of a mm-hmm. bit of a back back in the day dive. All right. So a little earlier than friends, even maybe even a little too early for you, but I'm but as a TV aficionado, I'm hoping that you've seen it. This I will go on record before you even answer it. I will say is one of my favorite shows of all time. Mm-hmm. I love it. Uh, we're asking for the Cheers spin-off, Frasier, starring Kelsey Grammer. So I have, I'll admit, I haven't seen all of Frasier. I have seen enough to know I really like the show, but I've just never gotten around to watching it through. Um, I've actually seen more Cheers than I have Frasier, um, funny enough. But but like I know Cheers and I know, like I remember watching the first seasons of Cheers and being like, isn't that Frasier? And then realizing, oh, it's just a spinoff. Oh, I get it, I understand. Um, but yeah, so I really like Frasier. I mean, who doesn't love Kelsey Grammer and David Hyde Pierce? Like. I mean, the two of them together are just magic. So I would put it as an A, B, only because I haven't seen it all the way through, but I do really like it. And it's on my list of like, these are shows I need to watch eventually. Like Seinfeld's another one. Like I know Seinfeld's great. I know the episodes I've seen I loved, but I haven't actually seen it all the way through. So it's on that list of like classic comedies to watch. Yeah. I love yeah. the dog too in Frasier. <laughs> yeah, no, Frasier, I, I couldn't agree more about Kelsey Grammer and, and David Hyde Pierce. Just a terrific duo for that gentrified like role. Yep. It's just like so <laughs> funny, right? Yep. And I think that the something that I love to do at parties or something, if things aren't going my way, is I love to be indignant, right? And I yeah. like to think, I truly <laughs> like to think that my behavior for that indignant behavior comes from watching Frasier when Kelsey Grammer gets like flustered or something, right. like gets <laughs> indignant and it's just great. And um, there's even that, the one, so so Kelsey Grammer was Sideshow Bob on The Simpsons, yep. for those of us listening that we don't even know who The Simpsons are, right? Oh. Um, which is not really the point of the story, but Sideshow Bob was mm-hmm. like this like, artistic, uh, theatrical, Shakespearean uh, goon that played a a sideshow to Krusty the Clown, but it was like way below his calling, but he could never make it. And then he ends up going to jail and being like a criminal. But the point of the story, right, is that they had one episode where they brought in Sideshow Sideshow Bob's brother, Cecil, right? His name was Cecil Bob. And 
Cecil was yeah. voiced by David Hyde Pierce, right? And it was truly incredible, like just the fact that that even worked out, so. Great. Thank you so much, Jenna, for just uh, spending your time with us, answering our questions, giving insights to our, uh, for our students, and uh, just, you know, answering some of our fun questions as well. I'm sure our listeners uh, really appreciate, and we definitely appreciate your time. So thanks so much, Jenna. Anytime. I'm happy to do it. And thank you so much for having me. And I hope, uh, I hope people learn something. And like I said, if anything I said resonates with you, just don't hesitate to, to contact me. I'm always here for, for fellow marauders. Is that what we call ourselves? Marauders. That's what it is. Yeah, marauders. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, do believe, I do believe we are the hashtag fireball family now. We are the hashtag fireball family. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, we are the fireball family. So yeah, just echoing Vince's comments. Thanks so much for your time. And, and uh, we'd be happy to have you on the show again and obviously uh, keep you up to date on how things are going. Thanks so much. Okay. Yeah. Good night. Take care. So welcome back um, to the Heat Exchanger podcast. I hope you enjoyed our uh, interview with uh, Jenna. And as you have heard from the end of the interview, uh, our episodic tier list this week, I guess, or this episode is on uh, sitcoms. And, and the judging criteria for uh, the sitcom is how funny it is, how rewatchable it is, and how, how the characters are, how likable they are. And whether or not the acting is good. And, and I mean, we're going to be fairly loose on that one. But um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, some sitcoms do not have great acting, but it is what it is. So we, we're going to start right off the bat with Frasier. So Jake, what's your thought on Frasier? Yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm yeah, we talked about this a little bit with, with Jenna, right? Uh, about the extension of Frasier. We even talked about, I think, a little bit and how like, David Hyde Pierce made an appearance as, as the brother of Sideshow Bob in, in The Simpsons, because like that combination is just so great. So in terms of funny, um, I think Frasier is a little bit um, a little bit bipartisan. Some people find it hilarious. Uh, some people do not find Frasier terribly funny because it's a little bit more dry. It's kind of like that sarcastic humor, uh, you know, the, the metropolitan uh, guys that are, that are like really high up and, um, and like living the good life or whatever. So, so some people don't relate to it. Um, I don't think you need to relate to it for it to be funny. So I'm, I'm in the camp that finds it very funny. I love dry humor. I say jokes that nobody else laughs at all the time um, in class and out of class. Um, and in class, usually I'll remind everybody that that was a funny joke. So for me, it's, it's funny. It's rewatchable. Laura and I have started watching it again. Um, I haven't seen it since I was a kid. I had a DVD set of season six or something like that when I went to university. So we watched that when we moved into our new house here last summer or two summers ago, excuse me, when we didn't have any internet. So we just watched the DVDs. That, that was funny, but it's on Crave. So we started watching it. So I like it. I think the characters are classic. I think Fraser Crane is classic and his brother Niles, David Hyde Pierce is unbelievable. I even like um, Marty Crane like the dad and the dog and dad, like everybody's good. So, um, and in terms of the acting, you know, it's, it's good, man. Like it's, it's good. It's just such an ownership of a character and it's, it's great. So Frasier for me gets the A. Uh, I will always 
watch Frazier or just have it on in the background while stringing rackets or doing something. I think it's fantastic. So I love that show. Great. I think for me, I mean, I, I, I haven't watched Frazier that much. I mean, I think it was a little bit before my time in terms like I wasn't even in the country at that time. <laughs> so um, like I, I came, I came to Canada when I was like nine, which is like 1995. So um, I mean, at that point, obviously I didn't even know English. So yeah, it doesn't uh, shock me that you don't find the characters in Frasier relatable. Uh, yeah. So, so even a I, little bit. <laughs> so, 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 I mean, I, I watched some of the stuff on YouTube, like just, just kind of like snippets of it. I think it's okay. Um, I could see how it could be funny, um, but, but it will be probably a C for me because, because I just don't really relate to yeah, it. Yeah. That's fair. So tell me a little bit about, uh, so, I think Jenna really likes Friends, right? How do you feel yeah. about Friends? So, I mean, so Friends, it's weird, right? Because, like, they started before I came to Canada. But, like, I didn't watch Friends until probably when I was, like, in high school, right? Or probably, like, reruns. Because I feel like that's when you should watch Friends. Yeah, it was, it was on TV all the time. Um, so by the, by the time, you know, I learned English, by that time, I have friends that watch Friends. So um, Friends was kind of the hip show, right? So, so... So I was into it. And uh, in terms of rewatchability, um, actually, uh, some, like bef- when it was on Netflix, uh, Sam and I, so my wife and I, we, we would, you know, if we can't find anything else to watch, we'll watch Friends and, and you know, The Office. We'll talk about The Office later. But um, definitely rewatchable. The, the characters, not super relatable, but like, you know, the, the, they are so like caricatures yeah. um, that, that like... I, I found it, you know, like, okay, you know, Joey is the, is the guy that eats a lot and, and is the dumb, dumb guy. And then, you know, like Monica is the anal person that's like, you know, like put a coaster on the table or you know, like all that stuff, right? <laughs> so, so, so like, I'm, I'm good with it. I, I think, I think it's a solid B for me. Um, like, I think watching back now there's some things that's like oh like it won't fly now but it's like it is what it is you know like but i think we could say that with all the shows back in the 90s right so, yeah yeah absolutely yeah i yeah so for me uh friends is something that i i kind of like you and fraser i never really got into it i don't know my family was never really into it um i didn't i didn't watch it my my most distinct memory of um friends is that uh, i had a grad student neighbor so this is back when i was in grad school uh in the penthouse of jhe so jhe 370 i was in the little bowling alley like the side office i wasn't even in the main annex office i got like shoved in like a side office it was great but there was only five of us in there and three of them never came in because they were they worked only at night right so they would either come in at like midnight until 4 a.m or they just wouldn't come in at all except for this one student and this one student was a bit different because I don't remember, I think their supervisor was Bob Pelton, but, but they had um, just immigrated from China and, and they were like trying to learn English, I guess, same as you, like, you know, in a bit of an accelerated way. And my most distinct memory of friends is that he was there. His name was Alex. Great guy. Um, I, I love except, Alex. Except the one time <laughs> he tried to microwave a pizza wrapped in tinfoil in the microwave right behind me and it started sparking and like exploding. So I had to tell him you can't do that. But yeah. Um, but he just sat there and watched friends, um, at lunch breaks or like even in the evenings, if I was there late and he was just like eating dinner, he would just be watching episodes of friends with, 
um, subtitles, but like in English, like the, the voices in English. So I guess he was like using that to like help him learn English. And he just like watched friends all the time. Um, and I, I even got a few laughs. I wasn't even watching it, but just like listening to it because it was in English. Right. I, I got a couple of laughs out of it. Does so. he not have his headphones on or just like, no, no, what? <laughs> <laughs> whatever it's fine so anyway um friends friends is fine i have nothing against it i'm gonna give it a c because i haven't really watched it very much i just i've got nothing against friends um all right so going in terms of the the same era the 90s um i think this show kind of transcends pop culture uh, so seinfeld well, what's your thought about seinfeld so i never watched seinfeld as a kid uh, and I only started watching it uh, like reruns and stuff when I was an adult. Uh, you know, your mileage may vary on what adult means to you. But um, I remember my cousins. I have a lot. I'm very close with my cousins. And, and a few of them are considerably older than me, not like crazy older. Uh, Benjamin is like three years older than me. And Robert is like five or six, seven. He's seven years older than me. But, uh, but they were like really into it. And whenever I would see them at like my grandparents' house, they would be talking about it. They would always watch it because we had Sunday dinners and, and there was always be an episode of Seinfeld on and the Simpsons as well. And, um, and I was always fascinated by it when I was a kid. And then looking back on it or like watching it as a grown up, you can see why it became such the thing that it became. Not necessarily because it itself is so amazing it's got really great parts don't get me wrong it had a pretty lousy series finale to be honest but like it has like those iconic scenes that like everybody understands right or like those it basically it was like memes before memes even existed right like recurring gags or jokes the, the reason i think seinfeld was so important is because it, it was kind of the first of its kind right like you kind of had like cheers sort of but like cheers wasn't really it yet like mash but mash was a little bit different too um, and it was at the same time as like a, a show like Frasier, but like Seinfeld really was a, it touted itself about, as a show about nothing. And just like some of the stuff that it did was pretty groundbreaking in terms of that. So anyway, Seinfeld gets a B from me. Um, it's not my favorite show, but the, it's, it's a good show. It's good. Yeah. So Seinfeld is probably similar to me as Frasier, right? Like, like I can't, like I, I didn't grow up watching it and it wasn't super relatable. Um, but to your point, I, I think um, it just added a lot to the sitcom genre, right? Like it's, it's I guess, a trailblazer in, in, in a sense. And so, um, I mean, I, I watch again this past couple of weeks just to see, see what is Seinfeld. And, and you can see a lot of cultural references that, that we use now Mm. kind of like points back at, at Seinfeld so so because of that it's not part of our judging criteria I, I'll give it a B like it, it is funny like um but again like I just don't have that attachment to it yeah yeah interestingly because because it's maybe the character that maybe reminds people of me the most but I just like the like Jerry not Jerry I don't know I, I always George? I always thought that I was considered a Kramer no not a George <laughs> Although Jason Alexander represent, he loved Jason Alexander in this country, but uh, yeah, I don't know. Like when, when George uh, naps under his desk and he has like an alarm clock and it's like ticking and his boss Steinbrenner comes in and just hears the ticking and thinks that there's a bomb in Yankee stadium. So they all have to like evacuate. It's just, just some of the stuff is, is ridiculous, but anyway, 
Um, okay, so moving into some more more modern things that maybe some of our, our listeners can relate to a bit more, not that they haven't watched uh, the, the, those other shows before. Uh, thoughts on the Big Bang Theory, Vince? So I'm going to have to agree with Jenna here. Like the, the first few seasons was really good. Like I, I, I really enjoy it. Um, and then... And then I think the quality of it went down. And to Jenna's point, I think it's like, instead of laughing with the characters, now you're laughing at at the nerdiness of the characters. Um, but I, I still enjoy it. I mean, Sam and I would, would sit and, and watch Big Bang Theory. It's, it's something that you know, we, will, we will watch. I, I thought the actual, the, the series finale was, was pretty good, um, mm. you know, with the Nobel Prize. Like a lot of stuff is obviously far-fetched, but, but it's, it was like, it was enjoyable um, for the most part. Now mm. I, I watched some on YouTube where it's like they took out the laughing track or the 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 laughter track, and like it's unwatchable with without the laughing track. Like just terrible. Like you know, what I mean, like, isn't it amazing? And oh, that's a that's a good point. I'm gonna interrupt for a second. I'm sorry, but like, isn't it always the case that how funny you find something or how enjoyable you find something is a product of the atmosphere or people that you yeah. see it with. It really, really is, isn't it? Yeah. Like, so, so like to, to that, like, so like I did enjoy it. I, I like, I mean, so me and my other buddy, he, he had a PhD in uh, Inchfist and like whenever we talk and then with our, like with our friends there, like our friends were like, Oh, it's like big bang theory. Like, you know, Sheldon and, and, and Leonard talking and they'll just make fun of us. So I was like, whatever, you know, like, so th- that's like part of the fabric of our life. So I'll give it a solid B as well, just because like, if you take out the laugh track and I, I, I would ask our audience or ask you to, to, like google that and 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 find find a video without the laugh track it's just like you can't like it's not funny like it's like (laughs) it was it's terrible so so i think the max i give it is is a b and what are you having for breakfast shelton cereal (laughs) (laughs) right yeah um yeah so so i never saw a whole lot i saw the first couple seasons maybe of big bang theory I kind of, I think I resisted the Big Bang Theory for the wrong reason, right? Like, so that's another Chuck Lorre show. And I say another, like we haven't gone into any Chuck Lorre shows yet, but like I, um, like the whole concept of, of it being a comedy about, you know, the, the nerds or, you know, people that working in, in academia or whatever, I think I resisted watching it because everybody else thought it was popular and I just didn't want to be part of the sheep, you know? So I was just like, no, I don't want to watch big bang theory. That's stupid. Um, and so I never really gave it much of a chance. Um, whenever I saw pieces of it, it was like fine. Right. And it lasted so long that like it had to have been pretty successful. Right. So anyway, I'm going to give big bang theory a, a C I don't give it like, I have nothing against it. It's kind of the same as as some other shows here, like, like friends, I have nothing against big bang theory. I, I did at the time. And I think that in, on reflection, I shouldn't have like, that's kind of dumb uh, and childish to have that attitude. So anyway, that's my thoughts on the big bang theory. Not very, not very good. Such deep thoughts about your own character. You know, sometimes you look back at things that you've done, right. And you're like, what the freaking heck was I doing? Like what, why, why did I behave like that? Or why did I do that? It's crazy. Like sometimes 
we, we coach t-ball right and like kids are just doing things and i stand there and stare at this kid who who won't get out of the dirt and is like sifting dirt through their fingers and i literally just asked them in a completely calm tone i'm just like why like why can you explain to me what you're doing and of course they can't they say like it's fun or whatever but i'm just like i don't understand and not i don't necessarily mean like when i was a little kid i'm talking about like i don't know like high school or, or, or university is like, why did I like act like that? Why did I say that mean thing to that person? That's not a, that's not fair. You know, I don't know, whatever there, things got a little heavy. Take no. that. See if <laughs> I freaking care. Oh, so, so yeah. It got so, it got <laughs> so heavy. You. I've it goes so you heavy. So I was like, should no. I continue this heavy stream or should we just no. keep, keep plowing? No, no. Get, get me out of here. Can okay. Get me out, please. Thank yeah. You. Okay. So let's let's keep going uh, <laughs> after that deep self reflection from Dr. Jignese. Um, what's your What's your thought on the office? So I, I love the office. Office is great. I like the rhetoric surrounding the office these days is like, ooh, you couldn't do that in 2021. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, I don't care though. Like the office is funny. Um, the characters are great. The acting is good in the office, okay? So like the mockumentary, it's a tricky thing. Um, we're gonna get to Parks and Rec a little bit later on, right? But Parks and Rec attempted to do the same thing as The Office when it started out and then kind of changed a little bit to be just more of a, a, a comedy show. But like they did not do well with that. Like the no. mockumentary is hard and uh, full credit to um, Steve Carell for maybe creating one of the most goofy yet strikingly like makes you think character like sometimes right michael scott would just say things that were so lucid and incredibly insightful that you'd just be like oh like you know he's actually got it but it's only once in a while right it's only enough that if you're paying attention you would like notice it and i loved it and i loved how awkward he was able to make everything else it was absolutely great so um you know dwight and and jim those characters are fantastic i liked all the little side characters i love stanley i love creed bratton uh, last person to steal from creed bratton his name was creed bratton like it's just <laughs> it's just fantastic stuff yeah. so the office is my favorite show on this list i will give the office the s i don't care what anybody else says i love the office yeah i would have to agree with you i just actually finished watching the office all over again with my wife so um i would have to give it a as, as well um the first season was a little bit more turbulent but yeah af afterwards it was fantastic yeah and um, it struggled at the end a bit after steve carell left yeah, but it but, but still had funny episodes yeah, though but i would say that that final episode like that series finale gold like yeah yeah anyways <laughs> like, like yeah. i i actually got emotional when, when, when michael scott came back and like you know yeah yeah <laughs> yeah anyways but like yeah, even the, like the small things they they did like you know that they, they had the, those um online series that tie you over uh during the summer like but where where you, you just you know looked at the accountants or, or whatever like i i watched everything you know like with yeah. the office it was it was fantastic like it was just great and, and i agree with you i think michael scott was a, was and probably one of the best character in in television I, 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 I don't know. That's a that is a that is a hot take. Hot and take. I love it. I'm yeah. here for it. That's hot takes. 
uh, our cool guest has already left, but you're living up to the hype of the heat exchanger podcast. That is a hot take. And you are uh, fully on point for me. I will not argue with you about that. That's a great, that's a great. It's like, anyways, let, let's get deep a little bit, right? Like, like the, there's the goofy goofiness of, of Michael Scott, but, but there's that like compassionate and caring yeah. piece. And then like, he just like brings all of this together. Like that's, lack of self-awareness but then at points where like he becomes very self-aware like it's just that like it's like i think that the thing i love about the office is like so like how human it it was right and how like when we talk about relatable i think that like that's that's what it is right Mm -hmm. anyways Anyways, i I can go on about the office forever so i'm gonna just stop here yeah just reminds me when you say like he's goofy but he also has like he understands the people that he's working with and also whatever so like when they make their own paper company and they steal his Rolodex. Right. And the guy calls uh, this person, like asks about the kids. And then he's like in the side camera thing. He's like, I don't understand. Like, like they were so mad at me. And then it, it switches to Michael Scott. He's like, yeah, his kids, I highlighted that in green. Green means go, go ahead and don't talk about it. You know, it's just like, it's great. And the cold, the cold opens to the office are yeah. some of the best 90 seconds of television that you'll ever see are just like a compilation of, cold opens from the office are great so anyway so we can we can keep going but but we won't we'll move on uh, a little bit more than halfway through now to uh community how do you feel about community so i so community has two phases for me like the first few season i really enjoyed it and then i don't know why i just stopped really caring about community i i know like the thing with community is that there's a cult following right like that there's like this small group of people or maybe like you know, maybe not small, but like just really, 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 really enjoy community. I thought it was funny. I, I, I like, like I said, I, I thought that the first two season in particular was funny. I really like Troy and Abed, um, but I think the whole series as a whole, um, pro, pro, I would give it. I would give it a what? I, I gave the other ones B's. Ah. The, the, this was be- between an A and a B for me. So, so. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. I thought like, you were between B and C. So. No, no. Like it's, it's so like, I, I would, I would have to say I like it more than Seinfeld because I, I actually watch community. Sure. Now, right. So, sure. but, but yeah. 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 B plus. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, so it's interesting. Hot take style community for me did the, the opposite of you. I did not like the first season of community at all, like at all. And I kind of forced myself to watch into season two when it got a little bit better. And I know that the first season wasn't very long yeah. and it got a little bit better in season two. And then it was kind of the same as you. I kind of like fizzled out with it. it, it it's one of those ones where, where my friends talk about it all the time or like people are always talking about, Oh, have you seen this or whatever? And, you know, it was kind of like, well, have you watched breaking bad or, or something yeah. you know it's like it's just one of those shows that everybody was watching and i just couldn't i just couldn't relate to it uh much yeah. like i didn't relate to breaking bad actually a little sidebar there is like i didn't even really like that show very much and Oof, so yeah, that's a hot take yeah well you know come at me see if i care um but yeah community i i don't know it, it can have a it's between a c and a d for me actually so i'm going to give it the c i think it deserves a little more credit was it um Joel McHale, who's the main yeah. character? Yeah, Joel I McHale. I hate that freaking guy. Okay, 
Sorry, you, Joel. You, McHale. you, you don't I got like nothing his, against his... you as a person. If you listen to this podcast, just in case it's the year 2050 and you've literally ran out of content on the internet and you're listening to this right now, I have nothing against you as a person. I just didn't like the show. It's not your fault. Uh, I just, I just don't like it. I'm sorry. So, yeah. you know, give it the D. Give it the D. Yeah. So let's get a little bit more recent. Um, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, uh, who's heading into their final season this year? Yeah, Brooklyn Nine-Nine has had its ups and downs, but it overall is a very funny show. Yeah. I thought, so here's the thing, here's the redeeming story for me of Brooklyn Nine-Nine. I'm going to give Brooklyn Nine-Nine an A. I can't give it the highest grade, uh, but I'm going to say that it's the same as Fraser for, for me. Um, Brooklyn Nine-Nine is a funny show that I loved watching. And the thing that made it even better is that I went into Brooklyn Nine-Nine thinking I was going to hate it. And instead, I loved it. So the juxtaposed feelings of like, I am not going to like this into like, oh my God, I completely misjudged this show. Like, you know, judge a book by its cover sort of thing was incredible for me. Like that feeling was, was unbelievable. So the reason I didn't want to watch it was because I wasn't a big fan of Andy Samberg. Right. And like, mm. you know, the, the lonely ocean music videos, which can be very funny by the way, but like, it's not really my style of, of comedy, you know, that sort of thing. And, and I wasn't a huge fan of any of his other work up until that point. And, you know, knowing that, that he was like involved in, I don't know. I, I like Joe Latruglio. I love wet, hot American summer, like everything to do with that. And Joe Latruglio was in that too. But I mean, I didn't expect it to be very good. And then right out of the gate in the very first episode, it was, so funny and so for me i just i've i've loved brooklyn 99 so yeah i i agree with you i think brooklyn 99 is it's very funny again it's something that me and my wife would sit down and watch I, I mean like we watch a lot of just comedy at night like she's she doesn't she doesn't really like um any intense you don't shows. like sitting down with your wife after dinner no no no. like i mean she doesn't like sitting down with me right so like you know like <laughs> like i i really like you know cerebral like um more, more suspenseful shows like you know I, I watch the procedurals like you know blacklist and things like that like she, she, she would have nothing to do with like cop shows in it but like mm-hmm. except for this cop show which is broken man nine and she thinks it's really funny and i think it's really funny mm-hmm. um what we really i mean the I, I think our favorite character is captain holt it's he's, he's so good he's so good like <laughs> so, so good, good. um uh, we're kind of sad that like Gina Gina left, right? Like, is it yeah, you know, is it, yeah the human it, embodiment of the one hundred emoji, Gina Linetti, <laughs> yeah, the Queen you know? Bee. Yeah. So it's like, um, but I, I think overall, I, I really enjoy Michael Schur's like stuff, like so most fruits. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, so I mean, The Office is Michael Schur, and then mm-hmm. um, and then Broken Nine Nine, right? So, right, Parks and Rec too, right? Parks and Rec, and then like. Yeah. The, the one that didn't make our list today, like The Good Place, I enjoyed The Good Place too. Uh, yeah, so. I, I think, Laura, so that's one of those shows that that I've seen come across the screen on Netflix and I would like ask Laura, but Laura's seen it. So I don't want to, we don't tend to watch yeah. things that one of us has seen already. So that's, uh, I've never seen The Good Place, but yeah. But yeah, but yeah so, so, so Brooklyn Nine-Nine would be an, an A and we're looking forward to the final season. So. Nice. All right, so uh, taking a hard right turn, okay? We're going back to some Chuck Lorre. You know I'm a big fan of Chuck Lorre. <laughs> um, two and a Half Men. 
How are we feeling about two and a half men? Yeah, again, like it's not a show that I watched a lot. Um, I mean, it was on like it was on TV before. I guess Netflix was a, was a thing. So like, you know, you flip through and it's like, oh, like it's something on TV. I guess I'm waiting for another show to, to come on and I'll, I'll, I'll look at it. Never really got into it. I actually hate all the characters on it. Like it's just, <laughs> it just like, it's just terrible. So I would give it a solid F. <laughs> solid, a solid F. Now you got the F, but it's a, it's a good F. You should, yeah. be, you should be proud of that F, you know? Like, I, like just the character, like, I mean, they're all like douchebags. So it's like, I, I just can't like, I, I I just can't do it. Like, yeah. You know, like, so no, I I I totally agree. <laughs> and, and like Charlie Sheen somehow turned into like Ashton Kutcher for you know like yeah the most <laughs> clunky rewriting of a character of all time. So like Charlie Sheen gets caught like doing all kinds of drugs and like OD is put in rehab, so they need somebody else. And so in the show they just write him out that he like just died. And then Ashton Kutcher moves in because he owns the house now, apparently. And everybody like somehow this all just like works. And yeah, I, I mean, two and a half men is that's that's brutal. So like it's the same, like two broke girls is the same to me. It's like it's the really it's it's the antithesis of Frasier, right? Like it's the it's not dry at all. It's just like lowbrow, just humor i bet i bet i I have no idea you should look this up on youtube see if it exists i bet if you watched two and a half men without the laugh track it would be even worse than big bang theory without the laugh laugh track like i can only imagine how bad i mean it's unwatchable even with the laugh track (laughs) (laughs) okay okay good so we had to get we had to give something uh we had to give something the torch there so So was that was it an f as well oh yeah oh yeah like I also grew up in a house with Brad Neese. Okay. Brad Neese, my dad. I love him to death. But like, I think shout out I was, our loyal listener. Brad yeah. Neese. Shout out, shout out to Brad Neese uh, and Val. I hope you guys are both doing well. But um, if, if like, I, I swear, if I was a, a teenager or whatever in high school and I had two and a half men on at any point <laughs> in the living room and my dad walked by, I think my dad would have like kicked me. <laughs> like, because he, like hated that brain melting kind of garbage. He's the kind of guy that, that would, you know, really limit my screen time and stuff, which in retrospect is, is great, you know, and you know, that's good for you. But like, man, he would never be caught dead watching a show like that. And he's one of the reasons that I like Frasier so much, right? Because my dad was into Cheers and Frasier and that yeah. sort of thing. And, and so like, it was like kind of an unspoken rule in my house that you don't watch two and a half men or like two, you, you just don't, just don't turn it on or you're going to be judged. So anyway. <laughs> Um, okay, moving back um, to something else. Yeah, you're up. So yeah, so what's your thought on Modern Family? Like, I like Modern Family. It's good. It's great. It's got good characters. Uh, I am. I think the character that I literally relate the most to out of any character in any show that we've talked about has to be Phil Dunphy. I, <laughs> I love. I'm just like the goofy. He's got a positive attitude. I like to think that I have a pretty positive attitude. I know you probably. Uh, are used to seeing the cynical side of me in like department meetings and stuff where I'm just kind of like angry about the state of education at the university with this pandemic because I'm just tired of it. But really I do uh, like to just do funny things and like just have fun with my with my friends and, and just try cool things. So I, I relate a lot to- You do magic? I don't do magic. I did when I was a kid, right? Like didn't everybody? Like when I was in daycare, 
uh, like summer camp, day camp or whatever you want to call it. When I was like, I don't know, nine, 10 years old, we went to these like day long camps and we would, my buddies and I would put on like magic shows and stuff. It was, it was great. But, uh, but modern family is, is pretty good. It, it did a really good job of adapting with the age of the characters as they grew up. Right. So there were a couple of things that were pretty clunky. I think that the way that they handled the Alex's character was like yeah. pretty clunky. Like later on, she just became this like sex crazed, like kind of creeper or something. It was kind of yeah, weird. out of the blue, right? Like yeah. Like, yeah. I was know, just like, I don't, she was I'm always not, this not, like, you know, studious nerd. And then just yeah. like, Oh, okay. Uh, I don't University really changed her, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I don't really know what, as it does to us all. I don't really know if I, if I'm on board with that uh, too, too much, but I guess she kind of did the opposite of Haley. Right. So Haley turned yeah. into kind of like a, a mom, like, like a, clueless, yeah. but still uh, like obviously well-intentioned sort of thing later on. Um, but yeah, I, I like, I like modern family. I'll give modern family a, I'll give it a B. I've already given out two A's and an S. So, so modern family, I think I would put it just below uh, Frasier and just below the office, but, but it's still really good. Worth, worth your time. If you haven't seen it. Yeah. Yeah, and then I agree. I, I, again, it, it's it's one of the show that that w- we watch quite often, and, and really like grew with the characters. Mm, uh, like mm. it, like I think this show was was interesting to me because like the kids in the show were very very small, right? Like, like mm, mm. they were very little at the beginning, and then you so you saw the characters develop, um, and like both on and off the show. Uh, and and that was very interesting to me. And, and but I I think you're right. I think they handled the, their mature, maturing well. I, I think Lily did Lily change character. Like I feel like the baby Lily was was a different. I think you're right. The different person that than, than than later. But like I never really got into the Lily character. She was like just someone there. But but I think all the other characters were were great. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I, I I so so th- this would be an A for me yeah um, that's yeah it, it's it's good um i don't really fully recall like the final season i thought it was okay like it's not like the office where it's like you know even the last episode was like you know ingrained into my my, my mind but mm-hmm. but but this is this is this is a good good show um like you know if i have nothing better to do i, I would sit down and, and watch an episode it's it's something that i would do right so, yeah so it's an eight yeah it's got like so many like really funny jokes like yeah. that are just kind of like seeded in there that you never like i remember i don't know why this you brought this to me because you said like growing with the characters and i think of like luke when luke was eight years old yeah, before he was jacked yeah exactly <laughs> and he had uh he had like a hundred dollars frozen in the freezer and and then the reason was because he like the reason was because he he wanted to hide it, but he also wanted to stay liquid. So he had to like bring it out of the freezer. He's like, I like to stay liquid. And I was just like, oh my God, that's just so funny. I like, how do you come up with something like that? But, oh man. Um, okay, last last but not least, it's your turn. Uh, we're going to go back to a, to a Dan Shore. Um, Dan with, Gore. Excuse me? Dan Gore. Mike Dan Shore. Gore, Mike. Yeah, sorry, sorry, sorry. Dan Gore. Um, Parks and Rec, last but not least. Yeah, so the first season was pretty unwatchable for me. Totally agree. But that's <laughs> the season where they tried to copy The Office. Right? Exactly, right? So, so, so I mean, the, and everybody was like, oh, they're just trying to be The Office and they suck, right? I, I think they start picking it up in second and third season. Uh, I mean, everybody loves, what's his name? Um, Ron Star Swanson? Lord. No. Oh, yeah, obviously. Nick, right? Nick like, Offerman? Nick <laughs> Offerman. He's, he's the man. Right. And, and, and then I, I also like the, 
what's the Star Lord guy? He's... Oh, Chris Pratt. Chris Pratt and Andy, and, and, Andy, yeah, Andy, Andy and April. Andy and April. Yeah, um, was pretty funny. And obviously, there, there, there's Leslie, right? So, yeah. um, I, I'll give it a B. Like, it's just that that first season, you just it, it was a grind. You mm-hmm. know, like it was just like, oh. yeah. yeah. I I watched that show, and I watched that show in spite of Amy Schumer. No disrespect um, to or Amy Poehler, not Amy Schumer, God. Um, but like, it, like Leslie Nope's character, it just wasn't for me. It was a little over the yeah. top, right? You can you can understand what like she's, she's trying to be Michael for. Scott, but like Michael Scott, no one can be Michael Scott. Right? Yeah, it's just a little bit over the top, right? Like talking about how like she stayed up four nights in a row to make this. 800 page binder of yeah. like color coded and i'm just like oh okay like it's you've done that enough times it's not yeah. really a recurring gag that i'm that i'm bound for but i think um i think ron like nick offerman's character ron swanson is it's it's so funny like it's just <laughs> it's just great um i i think chris pratt was got got better right yeah. i didn't like chris pratt's character early on and then got better um I think, you know, Tom Haverford also got better a little bit, but it was just a little bit painful at some points or, yeah. or whatever, but overall, and I loved um, Ben and uh, like when Ben yeah. Wyatt came into the picture yeah. and then also uh, Chris Trager. Um, what's his name? What's the guy that plays Chris Trager? Help me out. His name know. was uh, Rob Lowe. Yeah, there you go. Okay, <laughs> Rob Lowe. Um, he was pretty funny too. So I like the introduction of those characters and stuff. I think it worked out pretty well. Uh, so I'm going to give Parks and Rec a, a B. I almost quit halfway through the first season. And then somebody, yeah. I think it was uh, Emma, uh, shout out to Emma, told me that she, she loves that show. And she, she told me to, to stick with it. And, um, and I did. And I'm glad I did. So that was good advice. So. Like I tried watching it with Sam multiple times and you like she just cannot get through the first season like it's not funny it's like okay i guess i'll stop watching with you (laughs) well well that's it so we gave out a lot of a's and b's and an s and we did not really give out any bad grades so next time we should mean we 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 f'd uh two and a half men right so we f'd two and a half yeah but that's like i don't know is that a good tier list where it's like kind of like it's got like think of that it's the the bathtub distribution right you got like yeah. the stack up there in the a's and s's and then there's like nothing in the c's and d's i don't think we gave it a single maybe we gave it a, a d but anyway yeah. and like and the, then the one f but anyway whatever we don't know what we're doing and i'm no i don't care i'm not going to re-record this because uh that's a waste of my time yeah so <laughs> and we're not um, going to show any graphics to this so there you no go. no no other people have asked people have been asking for graphics hey we're up to like almost 40 subscribers by the way we should do a 40 40 subscriber <laughs> milestone uh spec. how is 40 a milestone like at least go to 50 you know like 40 i can make a milestone out of whatever i want man Forget <laughs> it. okay um yeah so who knows i think it was 38 last time i checked but uh hopefully people people enjoyed that So why don't we take a quick break and come back for closing remarks? Sounds good. Okay. See you, buddy. See ya. All right. Well, Vince, we have made it to the end of episode three. Congratulations. Yeah, that was a fun episode with our fantastic guest, Jenna, and just some discussion about sitcoms and the Blue Jays. So all together, a good time. 
Yeah. Hey, good luck to the Blue Jays. Uh, we'll we'll get another episode in of the of the heat exchanger before the school year begins, and then I think our plan is to uh, throttle back to about one episode a month, give or take. Yeah. So I mean that that gives the the viewers or the listeners maybe like you know every week you could listen to you know thirty minutes and then and then there you go and then <laughs> and, 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 and then and then you'll hear us again the next month. You know. Like, oh, I thought we were actually going to do an eight-hour show once a month just because yeah. we we could do it all in one sitting with a couple of Monster Energy drinks, but that's fine. Yeah. No. Okay. Regular episode uh, once a month. Hopefully the Blue Jays, we can talk about them uh, in into September, October, October playing yeah. some meaningful baseball. That'd be pretty cool. Now, I did uh, want to mention that the, the viewership numbers are doing the usual YouTube slide, okay? It's called the YouTube slide. It's called Exponential Decay, all right? 1ZC3, look it up, or 1ZB3, look it up. I don't know, whichever one isn't linear algebra. Um, exponential decay of like 650 views on episode one, and then like 190 on episode two. So that retention is not that great. And then we'll see if this one gets down to like 50. It's like factor of three, factor of four uh, decay each time. So hopefully- it's like, it's like the opposite of COVID numbers, you know? Yeah, yeah. don't even get me started. <laughs> oh. um, but yeah, no, if you, uh, if you did listen until the end, we would like to thank you. We'd like to thank Jenna as well for her time. And um, yeah, it's been a good time. So I guess yeah. we'll uh, see you in the next one. Take care of yourself. Yeah, see you next time. Bye. It's the only reason you know what the word ternary means. <laughs> I would like to emphasize that that's the only thing you learn from that, right? Like, that's like the other the other side joke here, right? Is that like you don't know anything about ternary phase diagrams, but you had to except look for up the word. <laughs> except for you had to figure out what ternary meant so that you knew what you were talking about, right? So <laughs> I'm so so honest, like the 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 professionalism of this podcast is like not great. Okay, so we're doing our, no we're doing our best. Okay, we're gonna try that again. You get a third crack, and I want this whole thing to go off in one take now. Okay, third time's cool. a charm. Sounds good. Jeez. Yeah, absolutely. I'm so sorry. Okay. Nah, no worries. No worries. <laughs>